go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible Study Wednesday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Bible study is an opportunity for you to listen to what I have to say for about a half an hour, and then you go ahead and uh, talk about it if you're in a small group at church or wherever you are. 1 Peter chapter 2. But we've got a strange thing that's happened in the Bible is that 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 doesn't appear to be the first verse of the chapter. You have to go back one verse to chapter 1 verse 25. Now, that verse is even divided in the translation. It says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That's part of chapter one. And then they begin, and this word is the gospel that was preached to you. It's the good news that was preached to you. But it appears to be the beginning of chapter 2. Now, is that the way the Bible was originally written? No, when the Bible was originally written, there were no chapters or Bible verses in in the Scripture. Uh, There were differences in paragraphs and things like that, but not differences in chapters. So, for example, if you wanted to know where you had to read, they would normally say the first two words of the paragraph. For example, if somebody was reading and they say, we now turn to Dominus Est, which is the Lord is, and people would know that's what we refer to as Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. When were these Bible verses put in? Uh, You'll be surprised at that. They weren't put in until the 15th century. That's right. 1553 was the time that the New Testament was divided into chapters and verses. And in 1448, the Old Testament had been divided into chapters and verses. So it wasn't until actually past the time of Luther uh, when the Reformation started that these Bibles were put into chapters and verses. So an editor has to figure out, does this part of the Bible, should that be in the previous chapter or the new chapter? And most scholars agree that verse 25, the first half is chapter 1 of First Peter, and the second half is chapter 2. So it says, uh, and we're taking a look at chapter 1, uh, the very last verse, verse 25. But the word of the Lord remains forever, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
The King James Version says, and this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So it's really important, uh, the word that is used here. And this once more tells us, guess what? Christianity is about preaching the gospel as a way of salvation, not the law. In fact, the Greek word there is euangelion, which just so happens to be the verb and the noun in talking about the preaching of the gospel. So what Peter's going to do now, he's going to begin to tell you what is this gospel. That's why it's important that the last part of chapter 1 is the beginning of chapter 2. So chapter 2, verse 1, first Peter. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, those items Peter is using to talk about that this is what the unbeliever has, all malice and all guile, etc. Now, these words, guile would mean like deceit. In other words, when an unbeliever does a good work, he does it for the wrong motivation. The, the simplest way to understand that is he always does it out of self-interest. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. How do we know that? Well, the only other motivation God recognizes is love of Jesus Christ. It's not that you have to have that in your mind. You do many things during the day because you are a Christian and are unaware of the motivation of the Holy Spirit in moving you to do those words. That's what's so wonderful about being in the Holy Spirit. So Paul is, or, or Peter is saying, put away these past things that you had. Why? Because verse 2 of First Peter 2, like newborn infants long for the more spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So here is an example, an analogy Peter is using that the Christian is like a newborn babe. For example, when we had children, sometimes I would feed them with uh, a bottle of warm milk and maybe the child was what? month or two month old, I did not go to the baby and say, do you want pasteurized or homogenized milk? Do you want chocolate milk? Uh, do you want buttermilk? What temperature do you want it? No, none of those things are asked the baby. The parent instead uses the milk at the right temperature and the right kind of milk for the child. And the child just drinks it down. Now, this is important as an analogy in regard to the Bible. 
God isn't asking you to figure out what parts of the Bible you agree with. Like you would not do that with a newborn babe about milk. Instead, as we read the Bible as a newborn babe, we receive it as pure spiritual milk. And by drinking that milk, we therefore grow up spiritually into salvation. Now, this is important. There's a prayer in the church where it talks about digesting God's word. And that means that's an analogy, not for milk so much, it could be, but for food. When you eat food, you hope that it will be digested properly so that you won't have any intestinal problems. And that's what we want you to think about the word of God. God says it, that settles it. So we don't argue uh, like there are even pastors and theologians today who deny what the Bible says about God's word. They don't believe that Jesus did miracles. They don't believe in the Old Testament, the crossing of the Red Sea as it's described, etc. And what happens, according to verse 3, when you receive that spiritual milk? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, the word for good there is Christos, and it really means gracious. It, it can mean virtuous. It's useful. And, and this is why we go to church, in order to see how useful is the word of God. How is it useful? It doesn't matter what problem we have, but there is a Bible passage to help us. Uh, that's why when the, uh, pastors go to a hospital, it really doesn't matter why someone's in the hospital. Uh, they could be there because they're about to have surgery or they're about to have a baby or they're in for tests. Depending on the reason why someone is at the hospital helps the pastor to decide what Bible promises to share with them. And where do a lot of the promises uh, take place? They take place in the book of Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. In, in other words, there are promises that it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, God is promising to take care of you and to comfort you. The goal of every sermon is at the end, there's a voice of comfort to overcome the sin that you are doing, thinking, or saying as you listen to the sermon. And that's very important that every sermon is law and gospel. So verse four continues, First Peter two. As you come to him, 
a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. What is that referring to, this living stone? Well, a lot of times the people of God are described as the temple in which Christ dwells. Jesus is the cornerstone. How is he chosen and how is he precious? He was chosen by God from before the foundation of the world. The Holy Trinity decided to send the second person of the Trinity to earth in order that he might save people from their sinful condition. And when you think of a living stone, during the exile and the exodus, there was a stone that brought forth water. And that stone was said to be Christ. It's not that Jesus is in reality a rock. It's kind of like when the Holy Spirit appears at Jesus' baptism, he appears in the form of a dove. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has wings and looks like a bird, but that's the picture that God chose to bring at the baptism. Here the picture is Jesus is a living stone that followed Israel through the wilderness, provided them with water, and gave them many, many other benefits. However, by some men, he is disallowed, or as the New American Standard Bible says, he is rejected by men. And instead, they don't recognize with the sight of God that he is chosen. You see, that's another purpose of every sermon. By nature, we often think with our old Adam. So we read a Bible verse and we have a wrong understanding because the old Adam either doesn't understand or disagrees with what is being said. So you have a wrong interpretation and that's what happened with Jesus. He came to earth, he gave many signs or miracles and the miracle wasn't in and of itself just a miracle, it was a sign pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. So that when the disciples of John the baptizer came to him, how do we know you are the one we're waiting for? What did Jesus respond? Well, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, and the mute speak, and people are raised from the dead. Those were Old Testament prophecies to help us to understand who the Messiah is going to be like. And so when these things occurred, that was a sign that Jesus was the Messiah. Remember, his first sign or miracle was changing water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And the Bible says that was the first sign he ever did. So there are some other so-called Bible books 
that aren't really part of the Bible because they got Jesus doing miracles when he was a little boy, like on the beach, raising a bird from the dead. No, that did not happen. The first sign or miracle he did was a wedding at Cana. On to verse 5 of First Peter chapter 2. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, we're being built up as a spiritual house. In fact, in Revelation, when the temple is described, the foundation are the teaching of the prophets and the apostles. And the various bricks in the temple are the people of God. Very important that you are part of that spiritual house. Jesus is the owner of the house. In fact, he is the house. He is the living temple. But you are now a holy priesthood. Now, that's really important to understand. The priests in the Old Testament had two significant actions. They would sacrifice on the part of the people, but it was not to get their sins forgiven, but to point to the sacrifice that was to come, as John the baptizer says, to take away the sins of the world. Now, we offer spiritual sacrifices, not physical. We, we no longer sacrifice lambs at the altar. What are our spiritual sacrifices? A sacrifice is an event where you do something in honor of God, and spiritual sacrifices occur in a divine worship service. You're praying to God, you're singing to God, you're listening to the word of God, not letting your mind wander. These are ways in which you get rid of your own self-interest and have interest in God's word. That becomes acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So acceptable to God means acceptable to God the Father because of your faith in Jesus Christ that's moving you to believe the word of God. And 1 Peter 2, verse 6, here he's quoting from Isaiah 28, verse 6. And here's what it says, uh, 28, verse 16. It stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Now, the next phrase is critical. And whoever obeys him? No. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is really what Christianity is all about. 
when you believe in Jesus Christ, and sure enough, that word belief comes from the word in the Greek for faith, belief, or trust. What does it mean that you will not be put to shame? It is translated in the King James, you will not be confounded. So you take a look at your life, you can really get confused. What is God doing in my life right now with the various problems, etc.? But when you look to the scripture, listen to the promises, you're not confounded. The New American Standard, instead of put to shame, says, you shall not be disappointed. That's really critical. So that's why hearing the word of God, listening to the promises, and, and that's a promise right there. And what Peter is doing is quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Remember, that came during a time when Jerusalem was about to be destroyed and the people taken into Babylonian captivity. What, what God is saying, no, there will be a new Jerusalem. And there was when they returned from Babylonian captivity to rebuild the temple. But here what God is saying, it's not a temple made with men's hands, but a temple made by God. It's called the Holy Christian Church. And that is a quote from God's holy word, that you have become part of the rock and you're part of the priesthood of believers. As I said, the priest did sacrifice on behalf of the people, but he did something else. He prayed on behalf of the people. Now, as part of the priesthood of believers, you don't need someone to pray on your behalf. You can pray immediately to God the Father. Uh, remember? When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, what did Jesus do? He said, our Father who art in heaven. Now, how can you reach heaven? I thought you were on earth. But according to Ephesians chapter two, in Christ, you have not only died on the cross, you have not only been raised from the dead, but you also have risen to the right hand of God. How's that possible? Because you're part of the temple or the body of Christ. Christ is the head. And wherever the head is, so also is the body. So, First Peter talks about you being a holy people. And even though it kind of begins at the end of chapter one, because it says, this word is the good news that was preached to you, all gospel language. And now you hear what that good news, you have been chosen by God, you are precious by God, and you are part of the holy priesthood. 
so you can pray directly to God because you are at the right hand of God in Christ. Take away Christ and that's a real problem. Now some of you have a problem with not being reconciled to someone. On tomorrow's Long Gospel, that's what we're going to talk about, reconciliation. Listen to God Long bless. Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.